You're listening to a message from Every Nation Canberra. In this message, Pastor Joe Sulit asks us about which is more important to us, God or money. Hello everyone, good morning. Magandang umaga, buenos dias. Welcome to church, I'm Joe, I'm one of your leaders here. If it's your first time, would like to welcome you, say hello to the person beside you, hug him or hug her, and just, you know, say good morning, welcome to church. We are Every Nation Canberra. We exist to honor God and make disciples. If you miss any of our preachings, you can go to encanberra.org. That's our official website. Or you can go to Spotify and just type Ian Canberra, and you can listen to our preachings there. And also, you have a prayer request form on your seats. If you need to ask us for prayers, just get a pen and write it down there. Or if you have any praise reports, just let us know. If flip that, there's an information sheet as well. If you want to get connected to the church, just put your name, your address, your email, or your contact information, and we'll be more than glad to plug you in. We are excited. We are going to start our very first tag service in the South. It's happening tonight. We have 17 participants already. A big chunk of that have never been to church. Yes, and some of our leaders here are joining us to that service tonight. We just recently concluded our Mission Possible series where we talked about how God is calling us in our lives, in whatever we do in your careers, not just because God placed you there specifically for a reason, for a purpose, for a mission that only you and you can fulfill. Today, we're going to start a new series on money. Yes, it's a very important money. It's all about the money, money. Yes. Everyone is dealing with money. Well, some of you people here might not be struggling financially. Some of you might even have excess to spare. Some of us here are just trying to make ends meet, right? And I, I would want to assume that most of us here are somewhere just in between, just, you know. The point is, regardless of your financial situation, we deal with money on a regular basis, whether we like it or not. It's a big part of our lives. We have a relationship with money that we cannot set aside as unspiritual or unnecessary. It is important for us as a church to talk about money. So the three weeks, the coming three weeks will be uh, spent on that. Our series is called Unstrapped, a closer look at what the Bible says about money. We read in many instances in the Bible where Jesus mentions money, not necessarily to emphasize it, but to prove a bigger point and to make us understand basically something bigger than what it is and then what it represents. The points to consider are, what are you going to do with your money? What does money do to you? And where do we look for wisdom with regards to our finances? As Christians, we look at the Bible as the source of information to teach us how to live in a way that will glorify and please God. As it turns out, the Bible has quite a lot to say about money. The Bible says the money or everything that we have is a gift from God. Money is also a source of temptation for a lot of people. And it's a terrible master. Yes, the Bible says that we can actually be slaves to money. We read in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, when Jesus said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word today. We pray that we would have open hearts and open minds, not just to understand, but to apply and live out your word. We pray that you bless the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. No one can serve two masters at the same time. You cannot serve both God and money. The key word here is serve. There will come a time when your loyalty will be drawn ultimately to either one or another. Jesus is saying here that we will have to make a choice between serving God and serving money. We know and we have been witness. We've seen how people who have served money have done horrible things. In the light of the Bible, money is always a heart issue. When Jesus said we can serve money, he was not saying that money is evil. He's not saying that money is wrong. What he's saying is that when money becomes a fixation, when money becomes our preoccupation, then we become people who serve money. So how we spend money and how we view money is a reflection of our heart. It is a reflection of our faith and our relationship with Jesus. Money, according to Jesus, is a test. This is the very first surprising thing that Jesus has to say about money. In Luke chapter 16, verse 11, he says, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Money is a test of the heart. I have here, see, Australia was the very first to actually come up with the plastic money, I think in 1988. Money is a test of the heart. The first thing that we have to understand is that we do not own money. You do not own your money. It would probably be strange to you if I tell you that we own nothing. You don't even own the money that you have in your bank. You don't own the house that you live in or the clothes that you wear, the food on your table, the cars parked in your garages. You do not own them. I say this for one simple reason, that everything, everything belongs to God. In Psalm chapter 24, verse 1, we read, The earth is the Lord's and all it holds, the world and those who live there. You know, for me, this verse is very liberating. It frees me from the vanity of having a personal claim, an attachment, or an entitlement to everything that I possess. From the surplus money that you have in your superannuation to the money that you have in your bank or in your pocket, one day, God will call you to give an, ac an accounting of that. One day, we will have to surrender those things and answer to God how we use the money and the things that He has entrusted to us. Everything you own does not belong to you. What the Bible teaches us is the concept of what? The concept of stewardship. See, you are not an owner, but you are a steward. Remember that. So don't get attached to anything. What matters to God is not how much you have, but what you do with what you have. And what you do with what you have has eternal consequences. In the end, money is not our life. It is just a tool that we use 
so that we can live our lives. I like what the Norwegian playwright Henrik Ibsen wrote. Money, he said, may be the husk of many things, but it's not the kernel. It brings you food, but it's not your appetite. It can buy you medicine, but not your health. Money can bring you acquaintances, but it cannot bring you true friends. It, cannot, it can bring you servants, but not faithfulness. And most of all, money can bring you days of joy, but not peace and happiness. Jesus is not concerned with what you have stashed in your bank account or what you have in your superannuation. He's not concerned about how many properties you've had or how many stocks you've purchased with your money. Jesus is more interested in the purpose and the intention of your heart. Jesus is interested in whom you serve. The question is, do you serve money or do you serve God? Last week, I told you about a doctor who said everyone will die. But what really matters in the end is, are we going to make a difference to other people's lives in their lifetime? This is the words of Dr. Richard Tio Kingshang, who was a famous uh, cosmetic surgeon in Singapore. And when I was reading his story, I just felt compelled to share his story with you. This was a message he delivered to the Dental Christian Fellowship in Singapore on the 24th of November, 2011. You see, Dr. Richard was born to a poor family, but he excelled in his studies, and he was accepted to medical school. From young, he said, I've always been under the influence and impression that to be happy is to be successful. And for you to be successful, you have to be wealthy. It's all about the money. So he led his life according to this motto. Coming from a poor average family, he was highly competitive, whether in sports, in studies, in leadership. He wanted to be the best in everything that he puts his effort to. But he said, at the end of the day, my life was all about the money. It's all about being on top. It's all about having a lot in my life. In Singapore, he said, people, when they charge them $30 for a doctor's consultation, people rant about it and they complain. But he said the very same people who would say that wouldn't mind spending $10,000 for a liposuction. So he said, well, let's stop healing the sick. I'm going to be a cosmetic surgeon. So from ophthalmology, he went into cosmetic surgery. And he said, that's what I did, liposuction, breast augmentation, eyelid surgeries, you name it, we do it. It was very good money, he said. From one week, waiting times extended to several months. From one doctor to two doctors, in a matter of one year, he became a self-made millionaire. Dr. Terrio's new made wealth opened the door to high society life. Now he started rubbing elbows with celebrities, and he loved to dine in Michelin-rated restaurants. They have a lot of those restaurants in Singapore. He owned three sports cars, and he recently bought from himself a new Ferrari F430. And this is how it looks like. Yes, a yellow pony, that's what they call it. Now he said, uh, on Chinese New Year, I would drive my Ferrari 
and, and show it off to my relatives, show it off to my friends. Then I would go to the hospital, do my rounds. That was the life. I'm enjoying it. It was just like, this is the life that I wanted. And he thought that was true joy. And you know what he said in the end? In truth, what I have done is just to elicit envy, jealousy, and even hatred from the people close to my life. During that speech, he made the starting revelation. He said, I've been a Christian for 20 years. He was baptized 20 years ago for the simple reason that it was the fashionable thing to do because all his friends were getting baptized. And he said, I wanted to get baptized so that when I fill up a form, I could check Christian and it made me feel good. He said, honestly, I never had the Bible. I don't even know what the Bible is all about, but I'm a Christian. I can take Christian when I fill up that box. He went to church for a while, but he got tired, and he stopped going to church. Instead, he went to the uh, National University of Singapore. It is consistently rated as the top, one of the top universities in the entire world. He said, I had a lot more things to pursue in NUS, girls, studies, sports, and things that other men his age get busy with. He became so arrogant, he said this. After all, I had achieved all of these things without God. So who needs God? I myself can achieve anything that I want. Dr. Tio was a gym fanatic. He would go working out six days a week, swimming, running, uh, doing training. In March 2011, after a run at the gym, he felt some ache in the back which was kind of persistent, and it made him quite uncomfortable. He had an MRI scan to check his back, but the scan result showed something that was really shocking. Dr. Tio was diagnosed with stage 4, 4B, terminal lung cancer, that had spread in his brain, half of his spine, all his adrenals, his livers, and his two lungs were filled with tumors, all of them. And he said, this cannot be happening. I was just at the gym yesterday. This is impossible. What's going on? One moment he was there at the top, and the next moment his world suddenly crumbled and turned upside down. The next day he was lying in an operating theater in a hospital for a needle biopsy. They wanted to get a sample. The nurses and the doctors had left, and they told me I had to wait 15 minutes to do a chest x-ray to make sure there's no complication. At this point, he was still in a state of denial. He was still unable to accept what was going on. And he said this, as I was lying on the table, staring blankly at the ceiling in a cold, quiet operating theater all by myself, I heard an inner voice. It was not like coming from the outside. It was inside. He said, the small inner voice that I had never heard before, and it said very, very specifically, this has to happen to you at your prime because it's the only way that you can understand. Sometimes God speaks to us 
in the chaos of our minds. This was God speaking to him. He asked God one day while he was lying on his bed, Why? Why do I have to go through this suffering? Why do I have to go through this trial and hardship? Why me, Lord? Why me? And then he fell asleep and he said, A vision came to him. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 to 8. Now, mind you, he hasn't read his Bible. He doesn't even know what Hebrews is all about. He doesn't have any clue on Hebrews. But it's said very clearly according to him, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 to 8. So when he woke up, he took the Bible, which is still fairly new, given to him by his friend Danny, and he said, okay, I'll just try it. Hebrews to me sounds like something ancient. So he said, it should be in the Old Testament. All right? When he opened the Old Testament, he didn't find Hebrews. He was disappointed. So... Or maybe it's in the New Testament. So he flipped through it, and lo and behold, it was there. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 to 8. And it says, Endure hardship as discipline, as God is treating you as his children. He said, I was getting goosebumps over my body, and this cannot be right. He said, what can be the chance of somebody who has never read the Bible to have a vision of a chapter and a specific verse that answers my question directly? It was just impossible. It cannot even be coincidental. He asked God, why the hardship? And God's answer to him was this, Richard, endure hardship as discipline because you are my child and I love you. That was God's message. Then God said, help others in hardship. To him, it sounded more of like a command rather than a statement. And this is what he said. That's the time when I embarked on this journey, helping others in hardship. I realized hardship is not just about poor people. In fact, he said, poor people are happier because they're content with what they have. Hardship can happen to rich people. It can be physical hardship, emotional hardship, mental hardship. And also over the last few months, I started to understand what this true joy is all about. I thought, he said, joy was all about pursuing wealth. And he said, I found no joy in what, whatsoever in whatever objects I had. My Ferrari, everything I owned, even my successful business. He realized that true joy comes from knowing God. And it's it's not just about knowing God. He said, I mean, you can read the Bible and know about God, but knowing God personally. He said, getting into a relationship with Him. You can read the Bible all you want and know about God, but still do not know Him. You need to have a personal relationship with God to know Him. Don't show people you're reading the Bible and doing your devotions because that's just knowing about God. He said, it's important for us to have a relationship a real vibrant relationship with God. So many people are blessed with good wealth, but the trouble is, he said, a lot of us cannot handle wealth. And that's probably the reason why God is not allowing you to be rich. The more we have, the more we want, he said. I've gone through it. The deeper, the hole we dig, the more we get sucked into it, and the more difficult for us to get out of it. Instead of worshiping God, we worship wealth. It's just the human instinct. It's just so difficult to get out of it according to Dr. Richard. He was addressing uh, dental practitioners. He said, we are all professionals, and when we go into the private practice, we will build up our wealth. 
So my thoughts are, when you start to build up wealth, and when the opportunity comes, do remember that all these things do not belong to us. He said that. We do not really own it, nor have any rights to this wealth. It's actually God's gift to us. And he said, it's more important to further his kingdom than to further ourselves. He ended his testimony by saying this, and I want all of you to think about it. He said, wealth without God is empty. It's pointless to have a lot if you do not have Jesus in your life. It's simply pointless. 11 months, 10 months after his speech, Dr. Richard Tio Kengshang succumbed to his illness. He died at the age of 40, a millionaire. He said before he died, in the end, I stripped myself of all material things and I focused only on what is essential. And he said, the irony is that a lot of times it is only when we face death that we learn how to live. A few days after his death, the headline on Singapore's newspaper was Fast Life, High Society Millionaire 30, died at 40. Singapore aesthetics doc doctor leaves a touching message. And the headline of this article is this. I cannot hug my Ferrari. Regardless of how much you have accumulated in your life, a lot of people have said that, and most of you who work in the medical industry as nurses, you know this. When people are dying, they're not asking how much money they have in the bank. They're looking for people they love. I want to be with my daughter. I want to be with my mom. I want to be with the people who are important to my life. He said, I cannot hug my Ferrari. What's the point? Whether you have as much money as this person or you're struggling to make ends meet, Money will always be an integral part of our lives. And it's not an issue of how much you have. Always remember that. But what you become because of what you have. It's not an issue of how much you have, but what you become because of what you have. Remember, money is always a heart issue. And as I end, I just want to share with you Paul's letter to Timothy. And I want us to reflect on these verses. We read in chapter 6, verses 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, to be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life, the life that is truly life. It's not about the fast lane where you have a lot of money to spend. 
Yes, if God allows you to do that, thank you, Lord, for blessing me with that. And help me to become a blessing to others because of what you have blessed me with. But the life that is truly life is the life that we have in Jesus and only in Jesus. Let's all stand and continue to worship God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we are broken vessels. We ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for reminding us that life is not just about things we can acquire and accumulate. Thank you for reminding us that we cannot serve both God and money. Thank you, Lord, for changing our perspective, our outlook on money. Not that it is wrong or evil, but may our attention be not divided by our desire to accumulate it, but that more of our desire to be closer to you. Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom in the financial decisions that we will make in our lives. That our decisions will not be based on how much money we'll make. That our jobs will not be dependent on how much they're going to pay us. That our transfer to other states and other countries will not be dependent on how rich we can be when we go to that country. Our hope and our dependence is in you and you alone. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you, church. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. God bless you all. You just heard a message from Every Nation Canberra. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit our website at iancanberra.org. Like our page on Facebook at facebook.com slash everynationcanberra.